I'm so glad all of you are here. I'm glad to have some visitors, our dear brothers from Vallejo. Second Peter, would you turn to Second Peter? Second Peter, we're going to look at God's sure word. God's sure word. And our passage in question is going to be verses 16 to 21. We're going to look at Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Let's pray. Lord, truly, if we have come to know Christ, our faith has found a resting place. It is on the shed blood of Christ. It is on his resurrection. It is on his ascension. It is on the teaching that tells me my sins are forgiven. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done on the cross. And that we are attached to him simply by faith. And all of this comes only from your word. Lord, anything we know about Christ, of any substance, comes from your word. And so we pray, would we look at this anew, would you examine our hearts and our minds of areas that where our thinking might not be renewed or our thinking is not biblical? And challenge us, Lord, we pray. We ask, Father, that we would be humbled, that as your word is declared, we would stay silent, shut our mouths, and listen. When you speak, you are right. When the scripture speaks, God speaks. And that without error, we say. And so, Father, would we have a refreshed and renewed view of scripture? Let your words be the dictates of our hearts. Lord, I even pray as we read in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. God, even if we are hurting, we know that it is your word that restores, refreshes, renews, rejuvenates. Help us to know where to run when we're weak. And God, would you just send your spirit so we can hear the things of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is God's sure word, God's sure word. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 21. Throughout history, throughout history, there has always been detractors of God's word, critics of God's word. We can think of ancient history. We could even think of more recent philosophers, even in our time, during the Enlightenment time of, of who affected societal thought in the trustworthiness of Scripture, the attacks on the trustworthiness of Scripture. 
Names such as Kant and Schleiermacher and Kierkegaard and Nietzsche and on and on have attacked the trustworthiness or the veracity or the truth of Scripture. Can what I read be relied upon? And I think sometimes as Christians we can get intimidated. I think sometimes when we are giving the gospel to someone... Sometimes they will say, well, the Bible was written by men, so we can't trust it. Or the Bible has gone through so many interpretations, or there are so many errors. Of which we would like to say, okay, where? And oftentimes if you ask that question, the conversation pauses. Because it's just something that usually people just parrot from other people. But sometimes if we don't know, with one phrase, they remove the word of God out of the discussion. We believe the word of God has in itself its power. And so you may be intimidated or may not know how to answer. Or you may ask them to show you and usually discussion ends there. Yet the testimony of itself, God himself says it's trustworthy. And I think we need to be refreshed in that. The more sure you are of God's word, the more apt you are to share it. The more sure you are of God's word, the more stable grounding, stable steps you can have in this life. Unbelievers may mock the word of God, saying that it's untrustworthy. And as Christians, even Christians, as we grow, we start to discover pockets in ourselves of unbelief. Pockets of wrong thinking. We may believe in the gospel. We may believe that Christ died for our sins. We may have placed our faith in him and him alone. We may have believed in, in a substitutionary atonement, which is the basis of our faith. We can believe all these things. But as we continue on in this sanctification, the sanctification is not just a growth in holiness, but that growth of holiness includes a growth in our thinking. And as we discover and as we read more of God's word, we go, you know what? This is not what I commonly held before. What I held before does not jive with what's being taught here. And so the wrong response would be for us, well, let's see how we could fit it in there. And the right response would be, you know, I came from a darkened perspective. I have been resurrected out of there and now I'm changed and Lord as coming to know Christ in that light so should my thinking start to come and start to be modified and start to be sanctified and brothers and sisters if you think you've arrived let me tell you God is going to continue to show his glory and his grace it is up to you are you going to be humble to receive it There are places where perhaps we have been ignorant. Maybe the way we have been raised. Where we have resisted what God has to say about a matter. Or maybe there's just a distrust of the word. Which is ultimately a distrust of God himself. If in fact all scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God. By his effort. If you say you're a Christian, I don't believe this part of Scripture, and I don't believe this part of Scripture, and I don't believe this part of Scripture, and it is of his effort, you are distrusting God himself. 
So the whole challenge of the Christian walk is, do I take God at his word in totality? Now look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, 21. He says here, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when we, he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been made by, the, by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Everything that the Bible says is true. This is what the Bible is teaching. And is given for the glory of God and for your benefit, brother and sister. The beauty of it is he has not left you in the darkness but in light of his scripture, we are able to understand and to assess the world around us. In fact, as a Christian, you should be looking at the world, looking at its problems, looking at its solutions in light of scripture. What does the Bible have to say? So this passage is given to you this morning so you would trust completely in the word of God as true and sufficient in your life. This is what Peter is preaching about. This is what he's teaching about. You will not have any kind of defense for false teachers, for false philosophies, for the wisdom of this world unless you understand with conviction that God's word is more sure. And we're going to take a look at that. When we say that God's word is always true, please understand what I'm trying to say. We're not saying that it is the authority on calculus. We're not saying that it will show you the molar equivalence in chemistry. Or we're not saying that it is a manual to change the transmission in a 57 Chevy. We're not saying that that has the truth for those things. What the Bible does say is that whatever area it does speak upon, it is true and it is correct and you could place your life on it. Whatever area it does cross over into, it is true and correct. The origin of man, the fallenness of the soul of man, the origin of creation, the sanctification of the believer, all of these are examples that crosses over into some areas of science, some proposed areas of psychology. Yet, whenever the Bible speaks of these things, it is true and correct, over and above all of man's philosophies. In fact, the, this scripture speaks directly to, know, uh, to how to know and recognize and conceive of truth. This is what Peter is talking about. How do you even understand truth? Even for those who have been believers for a long time, the Bible continues to shed its light and to show us where we held wrong thinking and how we need to surrender it. Now we know here from this text, Peter is saying, 
that he had this great experience, but you have this word of God that is more sure. And then in verse chapter 2, verse 1, but false prophets also arose. And he's going to talk about, not just in 1 Peter, he's talking about the attacks from without the church. In 2 Peter, he's talking about the attacks within the church. And false prophets get in. How do they get in? They just secretly notice in verse 1. They secretly introduce destructive heresies. It, the way you introduce a destructive heresy is not saying that Christ is not Lord. It doesn't get in the church that way. You got to be more subtle. You got to be more tricky. And so what, it do, what they do is they introduce teachings that sound almost true. Close to being true. That's how false teaching gets into the church. And Peter says your defense is not your experience. It's interesting, isn't it? Your defense is not what you see and what you hear. Your defense is the word of God. You notice here in uh, chapter 3 in verse one, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, which I am stirring your sincere mind of way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. And then he talks about in verse 3, the last days mockers will come. And what they are mocking is the return of Christ. Verse 10, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And so what these people are coming and they're saying, yeah, Jesus is loving Jesus is caring. Jesus died on the cross. They may, might even say that. Uh, but they say, but you know what? His coming is, you know, his, his return is, he's not going to judge the world. His return is, 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 is more symbolic. And so he talks, about, he talks about Christ in this fashion and then false teaching starts to come in. Brothers and sisters, this comes in a wide area, a wide variety of ways that attacks the church. And what's interesting is, the more and more we study scripture, you start to see, wow, I was really affected by that. Wow. I thought I was right on that. I was wrong. Now, there are two, there are two big reasons Peter, by the Holy Spirit, Give so that you would trust completely in the word of God as true and sufficient in your life. Number one, your experience is limited. Oftentimes people say, well, I know God because I felt God. Or I know God because he did this for me. Or I know God. The Bible tells you from this scripture, brothers and sisters, to seriously doubt those experiences. Wow. Angelo, you must be doubting the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I'm telling you to believe in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit clearly defines and clearly explains himself through the Word of God. Your experience is limited, brothers and sisters. Peter first explains of one of the greatest experiences known to man. This is greater than someone who says, Jesus came touching my toes when I was asleep and woke me up. This is greater than any of those experiences. Peter's going to talk about the greatest experience. Or one of the greatest experiences. He had the greatest sight to behold. Notice in verse 16. 
He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so Peter is setting up his argument. And he's telling them, Hey, you want to talk about experiences? You want to talk about spiritual experiences? And this is, isn't this the air that we breathe in in Christianity now? You try to tell them, this is what the word of God says. And this is what they say. Well, I experience this. And what they do is they take their experience and they place it over scripture. Where Peter takes his experience and puts it under scripture. So now... He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales. Cleverly devised, that word means to be skillfully contrived. Deceitful. We would call this spin. Peter says, we didn't follow cleverly devised myths or tales. The word there, tales, comes from the word for myths. It means legend, tale, story, fable, fiction. We didn't follow... Old wives' tales. We didn't follow fictitious stories. We're not going to risk our lives for this. And I don't think neither should you, brothers and sisters. Life is too precious. We got to know if this is true. Correct? If we're going to base our life on it, if we're going to risk things for the gospel, we got to know if this is true. And so Peter says, let me give you assurance we didn't fall for it. I was scared. This is, remember, this is Peter. I was scared and I ran. But I got to tell you this is true. And let me tell you, this is my experience. As great as my experience is. Because false teachers were telling them. You know, Peter was teaching about the return of Christ. And false teachers were telling them, that's not true. He's not going to come back. There's no judgment coming. There's no uh, coming of uh, uh, collection of the saints. None of that is going to happen. So you don't really have to worry. And Peter says, no, no. No, you need to understand this. He said, made known to you. This is the revelation concerning the second coming of Christ. He says, we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these false teachers were undermining Peter and his teaching. Notice chapter 3 and verse 4. They were saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell, all continues just as it was from the beginning. He's not coming. The Christians, they keep saying that. Do you ever wonder? Like when you, when you keep saying, you know what? My friend, there is a judgment to come. And they laugh. There's no judgment. I've got a good job. I live in San Diego County. What are you talking about? Everything is the same. Oh, how, how we have been taught this, that nothing is the same in these past few years. Isn't that right? Things can change very, very quickly. And then he says, about this experience, that these, these t- false teachers are saying, there is no judgment. Look at chapter 3 and verses 7 to 8. He says, But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. They laugh at you when you say there is a a judgment to come. And then Peter says, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord, with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. Stressing the patience of God. 
and you're telling them it doesn't look like the way it's going to be. And they're saying, yeah, yeah, right. We are a peculiar people, aren't we, Christians? We believe in a Christ you cannot see. We believe in the word of God as the rule of life and belief. We believe that Christ is coming again. Peter says, I was an eyewitness. Notice, the word there came to mean a privileged spectator. I saw it with my own eyes. We witness, notice, the majesty. I look, this is the uniqueness of Christ. Not that he was just a man, but we saw his glory. We saw his uniqueness. We saw his beauty unlike any other we have ever seen. We saw his majesty, his worthiness to be worshipped. So Peter is saying, this is the greatest experience I've ever had. It's the greatest sight to behold. Notice, he, he had the greatest voice to be heard. Notice in verses 17 to 18, the pronouncement, verses 17 and 18. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this has been made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, we look at this and we say, Peter, what are you talking about? What do you talk about? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Well, if we think about in scripture, there are two points in scripture where God the Father pronounced this about his son. Number one was in baptism. And number two was in the transfiguration. What was Peter talking about? Well, we could see where he says the holy mountain in the... in the same verse, excuse me, in verse 18, we ourselves heard the utterance made from heaven from when we were on the holy mountain, leads us to believe that this is the transfiguration that Peter is talking about. The holy mountain probably was Mount Hermon near Caesarea Philippi. And so let's take a look and stick your hand here, and I want you to look at the significance of this event that Peter is talking about. Keep your hand here and go with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And you notice in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 1, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. So this inner circle. And led him on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? His face shone like the sun. It was a brightness unlike they have ever seen. And his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them. Talking with him, Peter said to Jesus, Moses symbolizing the law, Elijah symbolizing the prophets. So the law and the prophets were speaking with Christ. And Peter, not understanding the superiority of Jesus still, 
said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Notice he says here, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Now, interesting. A voice out of the cloud. And I take that to mean that God the Father made a pronouncement of his own son. I'm just wondering what that sounded like. First, they're looking at Christ and he is shining as white and clear and bright. And then they hear this voice pronouncing, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You got to understand, there, this is no experience... This is no common experience held by anyone. And this voice out of heaven says, this is my beloved son. Notice, he is talking about this sweet, divine, unique relationship that God the Father has with the Son. One of respect, one of love, one of uniqueness within the Godhead. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This means that everything that Christ does, everything that he says, everything that he uh, performs, everything that he thinks is well pleasing, it brings me delight. So to speak, this is what God is saying. He perfectly pleases me. He says here, listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell down to the ground and were terrified. Notice, this is the true falling. A true falling forward. Notice, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. Why? They saw Christ transfigured. They heard God's voice. When Jesus came to them and touched them, and said, get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus alone. Verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they're still trying to compute what this means. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came. So the one who came in the spirit of Elijah, later on we'll see, is John the Baptist. They didn't recognize him. They did to him whatever they wished. John the Baptist, of course, was beheaded. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Now, all this to say... As we continue on and as we are reading and looking at the text. Peter says, I have heard the greatest voice. Peter, has, Peter says, I have seen the greatest thing. My experience is greater than any of yours. Any of your feelings, any of your experiences, any of what you dreamed. My experience is greater and then... So why does Peter go into depth about this experience? Let's go back to Second um, Peter. It's quite interesting. He says in Second Peter, why does Peter go in depth about his experience? Because his whole point 
his whole point, and we're going to go on in this transition, is that no matter how deep my experience has been, whatever background I've had, whatever education I've had, whatever cultural upbringing I had, he says, no matter how deep my experience has been, the word of God is more reliable. And so he turns here in verses 19 to 21. So he says, So we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit from God. And so, brothers and sisters, the whole reason that Peter is sharing this is because he wants you to know that the Word of God is actually more reliable, more trustworthy. And that's our, our second point. The Bible is trustworthy. Why should you trust in it? Because it's trustworthy. Because it has its source in God Himself. He says, so we have the prophetic Word made more sure. The prophetic Word is God's special revelation that is inscripturated. That has been given to us. So that you don't have to run in the dark. So you don't have to guess what is true and what is not. If you notice that the disciples, every time that they preached, their rhetoric was based on the writings of God. It was based on Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. Notice when Peter would preach the gospel, he wouldn't just say, this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard, I have just not just held Jesus with my hands. He says, the prophet said it. If you don't believe me, believe what the prophet said. Notice in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, he says this, And Peter is, Peter is preaching and he's taking his stand. In verse 14, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. And then he quotes Joel, and it shall be in the last days. And then in verse 25, For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. He's quoting Psalm uh, 110. In verse 34, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So in his mind and in his heart, Peter says, the way you ought to know, the reason you should know is because the Bible is trustworthy. This is what we preach. So going back to Second Peter, he says that though we have the prophetic word made more sure. The word therefore more sure in verse... Um, in verse 19, so we have the prophetic word made more sure. This phrase means dependable, reliable, trustworthy, well-founded, confirmed, verified, effective. Why is it trustworthy? First, it dispels spiritual ignorance. Notice he says in Psalm 19, excuse me, in verses 19 and B and C. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. It's interesting. Peter says, not my experience, not what I've seen, not what I've looked at. He's saying, I want you to pay attention more to the word of God. 
that which is codified, that which is written. And he says here, I want you to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now what verse does that remind you of? About the word of God in a lamp. Anyone? Anyone? What does it remind you of? Thy word is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I, I remember when a lot of times we'd we would always bug each other uh, in our family when we go camping. Uh, if you forgot your headlamp or your flashlight, we would say, you're getting soft. Why don't you have your flashlight? Why don't you have your torch or your, your headlamp? And the reason being is because when you have a headlamp, you could see, right? But the headlamp, it was not bright enough to illuminate the whole forest whenever we were camping or anything like that. It was just... A little bit. And later on, when the day would come, we would see tracks of raccoons that were jumping on the table or even bear tracks. We would see that sometimes. But what, what helped us was this little lamp. You can go to the bathroom. You can do your things that you need to with this little lamp. Why? Because the lamp showed me the reality of things. That my shirt was over here and my shoes were over here. And the restroom was actually 200 feet away, not 100 feet away. And that's what the Word of God is for you, brothers and sisters. It, is, it, has not, it does not look like day yet. Folks cannot see exactly what, what the, way, the way that the world really is, the way that spiritual life really is. We have this lamp and we can see. And God has said... That you have this lamp so that you don't have to go bumping into the night. Oh boy, I hate that. Accidentally kicking a firing is the worst feeling when you don't have a flashlight. And so the Bible is saying, you'll do well to pay attention. To give it your full attention. To give it your full study. To give your whole heart and your mind to the study of the Word of God. To read it and reread it and reread it. To meditate on it. To memorize it. To talk to other people about it. To get to meet each other and talk about it. To pay attention to the Word of God because it's shining in a dark place. Now, there's this imagery of dark place and light that the Bible gives. And light is supposed to tell us that it, is, it, it illumines our ignorance. And it shows us our immorality. So darkness is a picture of ignorance and immorality. Sin of all kinds. And what the Bible does is it shines a lamp upon it. And isn't that what God has done for you? When you've come to Christ, you start to see, oh, this is true. This is not true. This is sin. This is not sin. This is righteousness. And so, until the day dawns. And so he's saying here, to pay attention to the word of God. Don't give credence to people who say, this is my experience. And this is how it sounds, brothers and sisters. This is exactly how it sounds. And sadly, this is within the pales of the, of the Christian church. People will say, Something to this order. They will say, well here, I will say, well here's what the word of God says. And they will say, well that's not what I'm feeling. Or they will say, you know what, I hear what you're saying, but that's not the way I see things. And they have no scripture to back them up. 
Or they will say, I see Christ in a different way. Or they will say, the Holy Spirit is leading me different. Really, show me from this text why the Holy Spirit is leading you different because he will not go against himself. Well, I've had a greater experience. Notice, people in Colossae have been doing this as well. Go to Colossians chapter... I don't want you guys to fall for this. It's one of the biggest tricks in the book, right? Folks say, I'm more spiritual than you, therefore I'm closer to God, therefore I'm right. Rather than saying, this is what Scripture says. Notice he says, verse 16 of chapter 2 of Colossians. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. So he's saying, people are judging me. And how are they judging me? He says in verse 18, Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head, in whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. He's saying this, this is what people do. They say, hey, I've seen angels. You don't know what you're talking about. We had a, we had a few years back, we had someone come up to us come up to us and say, you know what? You guys are not preaching with the Holy Spirit. I don't feel the Holy Spirit. You don't have it, Angelo. That's what the guy said to me. You don't have it. And I said, God has given us all the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture says when we come to Christ. God says when we preach the Word of God in its meaning, in its declarative form, we are speaking what the Holy Spirit desires for us to speak. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, you can't tell me because I don't feel it. I mean, some of you guys remember that. Brothers and sisters, do not fall for that. Do not fall for when people says, well, my case is different. My case is different because I, I, really, I really feel the closeness of God telling me, really telling me I need to leave my family Leave my wife. The closeness of God and, and be with this other woman. This is what the Bible... Brothers and sisters, do not be fooled. The word of God is what? More sure. Let us be a people of the book. Notice in Second in, uh, Peter, going back to Second Peter, it dispels spiritual ignorance. It dispels darkness. It allows you to see what is right and wrong. It allows you to see how to discern. I love how Spurgeon said what discernment is. It was a good definition. Discernment, we often think of what discernment is, is between what is good and what is bad. And he said, no, discernment is between what is good, what is right, and what is almost right. And I think that's, that's the gist of it. We need to grow in that. And notice he says here, what else does he say? We have the prophetic word that is the word of God that is inscripturated more sure. So Peter says, more than my experience, more than your experience, more than my background, more than your background, more than anyone who has ever felt anything, especially in our society now. We always start our sentences, I feel like, I feel like this, I feel like this, I feel like this. We start with our emotions, not with what's true. To pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in the dark place. What God is saying is, the word of God will not lead you astray. Then he says, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. That is a reference to the coming of Christ himself. When there will no longer be need for discernment in that sense. Because as Christ comes, he allows us to see the way things are are really. And he will reveal to us, it is the revealing of the sons of men. How, how the way the world is truly. Now. Well, how has this come? How do we know? Well, the Bible is trustworthy because it dispels spiritual ignorance. But the Bible is trustworthy because it comes from God himself. It is sourced in God himself. He says in verses 20 to 21, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy, again, inscripturated, of scripture and now he is adding this this is this is, has its application to all of scripture all 66 books that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's interpretation which is actually a word that's probably best put as from one's own not interpretation for no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will but men moved by the holy spirit spoken spoke from god so he's, what he's saying is there's no word that's given in the word of God that came from his own source. And how do I know he's really talking about source? Because in the next part of the verse, he's talking about source. Scripture doesn't come because of someone's imagination or myths or stories or tales. No prophecy has ever been made an act of a human will. And then he says, but men... Moved by the Holy Spirit. Spoke from God. The word there for moved is an interesting word. How does this work? Okay. God's word came upon these men. As they inscripturated it. And the Holy Spirit. The word there for moved is the word Pharaoh. It's used in Luke. It's used in Acts. Of the wind that blows past the sails of a ship. As it carries the ship along. And so everything that God wanted to speak. Everything he wanted to communicate. He carried the men along as they inscripturated. And so as folks would. would as, as you would see in scripture. You would see the different personalities of these men. This is what we call the inspiration of scripture. It's not really inspiration. It's really the expiration of scripture. It is a breathe out of God. And what God is saying is, I carried them to say exactly what I wanted to say. I carried them to say exactly what I wanted to communicate. Poured through their own personalities. These were men moved by God. And you could bank on it. You could depend on it. You could lean on it. And so here... He's saying this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. It, didn't, it wasn't sourced in them. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So now, here's Peter. If you understand what's, what the argument is. When folks say, well, I have this experience. Or I sense the Holy Spirit. Or now I'm speaking in tongues. And you don't understand what I'm saying. I know this experience better. Peter says, what are you talking about? The word of God 
is to be given more primacy. The Word of God is given by the Holy Spirit. A lot of times people will say, oh, you know what? We don't really need to open the Bible because, you know, the Spirit was strong and we could just sing and then close the Bible and that's it. Oh, brothers and sisters, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, Peter is saying, have more of the Word. It's very easy when someone says something contradicting the Word of God and they say, the Holy Spirit led me, you say, well, the Holy Spirit does not go against itself. And it says here in black and white what the Bible is saying. Now, are you paying attention? That's the real nitty-gritty, isn't it? That's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. Are you paying attention? It's, it's very clear to understand and pay attention to when we give the gospel, the very rudimentary of the gospel, the elemental forms that God created you. And we have sinned. And we were lost without him. And God gave his son, his only beloved son, out of heaven itself to put on flesh, to be well-pleasing to the Father in all things, in his life, in his death, in his burial, resurrection. And the Bible says that if we believe in him, that we will be saved. Now, we pay attention to that. Now, if the subject is calculus, the Bible is not the authority. If the subject is the movement of a sine wave, don't go to the Bible to, to cheat on an exam or something like that. To find out what the speed of light is, I would not go to the Bible. But once the subject crosses over into what God has said, God is always right. God is always sure. Now we say that, brothers and sisters, we say that with the gospel if you're a believer. But are you willing to say in all areas? We've heard about Peter and you would say, oh, that's not me. That's not me. Really, really, really. Is the word more sure in your life? Because if the word is more sure, you would be, be believing the word of God. You would be living according to the word of God. You would be looking at your obedience and saying, this is not where I'm at. This is not how I think. This is not what I say. Because even as Louis said last week, orthodoxy begets orthopraxy, right? Right thinking begets right practice you might be thinking there sitting there and say I have this view of Jesus that maybe he's this wears Birkenstocks and he drinks decaf coffee and he's has long hair and he wears a toga, walks around with flowers in his hair. I would say, or you would say he's a moral teacher, but he's more of a principle. He wasn't really an actual person. The Bible says he is personally returning. And what you believe in 
has to give way despite your experience, despite your training, despite your background. You're wrong in this. And God is right. And your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance or at worst rebellion. That's how I have to come to the word of God. That's how you have to come to the word of God. God, you're right, I'm wrong. Not, but, 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 no, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to think rightly on this. About man's real problem. Society, the experts, Dr. Phil, Oprah will say it's his environment, it's his upbringing. And they do factor in as secondary causes, but his primary cause is that God says his real problem is sin. He has fallen. And what you believe in has to give way despite your experience, your training, your background. You're wrong in this, and God is right, and your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance and at worst rebellion. Marriage. Marriage counselors will say this and they will say that, that it's just communication or, in order, or that you should just stay in a marriage if you're happy. But what you believe in has to give way despite your experience, your training, your background. You're wrong in this. And God is right. And your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance, at worst rebellion. Do you see, do you see where I'm going with this? Everything I think about, every philosophy that has come past my mind, I have to weave it through. I have to examine it through the grid of Scripture. Child rearing. Psychologists may say to allow your children to have full expression to their tantrums or to use a set of bribes to control behavior. Where God says to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and to utilize prayer, speech, the word of God, love, and the rod. What you believe in has to give way despite your experience, your training, and your background. You're wrong in this. And God is right. And your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance or at worst rebellion. I remember I had to come to grips with that. As I'm looking at that, that's not, and we come to it. We all come with this grid, with this bias of how we were raised. That's not how my mom raised me. That's not how my dad raised me. But this is what God says. And now I have to come to it. Am I going to live this or not? Or am I going to make excuses for myself? Society. Society sociologists may say the ills of man stem from... Here's what you hear at colleges, brothers and sisters. I know what you hear at colleges. The society, the ills of man stem from the white man's oppression over all colored people since all of history. Where God says man has been at war with man. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The only way to true harmony and peace is repentance to Christ. That's where true love is found. What you believe in has to give way despite your experience, your training, and your background. You're wrong in this, and God is right, and your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance and at worst rebellion. The only way to, for reconciliation to occur, brothers and sisters, is in Christ. Morality. 
The world calls you immoral when you say sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman is sin. The world calls you unloving and bigoted. Where God says, put your finger here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is what God says. This is not some political platform. This is not something I created. Look at what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Your argument is with God, not with me. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul himself is saying that those who continue in sin will go to hell. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. Why? Because the world is trying to lie to you. The world is telling you it's okay. The world is saying it's, 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 it, you could have it with, and Christianity too. You could live immoral and you could have these immoral thoughts and live in the Christian church. Brothers and sisters, you're being lied to. This is not neutral. Every time you're in school and the drag queens want to read nursery rhymes to the children. It's immoral. Don't be deceived. Why? You have been lied to and you believed it before. And so now God shines the lamp. And what does he say? Neither fornicators, those are those who have sex outside of marriage, nor idolaters, those who worship any other thing other than God, nor adulterers, those outside of marriage, nor effeminate, any man who pretends to be a woman or has feminine tendencies, nor homosexuals, anyone who is having relations with the same sex, nor thieves, those who are continually in that, nor covetous, nor drunkards, those who are continually getting drunk in our society. We try and impress each other. Oh, I was so drunk, man. I was so drunk last weekend. Oh, you, that's nothing. I was drunker than you. How stupid. Nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible says don't let anyone lie to you. And here's the, here's the beauty. Look at verse 11. And here's the grace. It's not just fire and brimstone. Here's the grace. Just as that is true, so is verse 11 true. Such were. Amen. Such were some of you. What does that mean? That that's the life I used to live. I used to be and I got saved. I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and the Spirit of God. So apparently in the church in Corinth, the lamp shone in their hearts and they decided to live right. There were former fornicators, former idolaters, former adulterers, former effeminate, former homosexuals, former thieves, former covetous, former drunkards, former revilers, former swindlers, but God washed them. How? They believed and repented and his blood was applied to them and God looks at them with the righteousness of Christ. See, what you believe in 
has to give way despite your experience, your training and background. You're wrong in this and God is right. And your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance or at worst rebellion. What about ministry? Even the way the church works. When there are churches everywhere, they don't talk about sin and they call them mistakes or they only speak about the love of God, not, not our judgment apart from the love of God. Or they have songs that really don't convey truth about God. They never offend. It is false. God calls us to call sinners to repentance and life into Christ. What you believe in has to give way despite your experience, your training, and your background. You're wrong in this and God is right. And your insistence in thinking that way is at best ignorance, at worst rebellion. And what about suffering? Do you see how this has... This has uh, fingers and tentacles into every aspect of life. Is the word of God sure? What about suffering? When the world tells you there's no reason for your suffering. When the world tells you why don't you just curse God and die. When the world says you're never going to see good days. There's never going to be any time of peace and joy. You will not see good days. No, God says in Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Friends, brothers and sisters, the word of God is sure. He is for you, not against you. And what you've believed in in the past has to give way despite your experience, despite your training, despite your background, despite what you even see right now. God is for you, Christian. If he has given you his son, would he freely not give you all things? It has application everywhere, brothers and sisters. Never let someone tell you that theology doesn't have application to life. Oh, bibliology, this is the study of how we get the word of God. Gives me firm ground when the ground beneath me starts to shake. When the voices are too loud, when the hatred is too fierce, when the enemies are too intimidating, when the wolves are too insidious, when the suffering is too intense, God's word stands true. It is the lamp in the darkness, and it will be as bright as the noonday sun when Christ returns. Let's pray. Father in heaven, let us be a people of the book, not swayed by false teachers, false ideologies, false political situations, false philosophies. Let us be a people of the book. And God, challenge us, I pray, that we would be challenged to humble ourselves and to say, God is right, I am wrong. I thought one way. I thought this is how you do things. I thought this is how relationships are supposed to be. I am wrong. God, you teach me, please. I want to be what you have determined to be right. You determine what is right. You give us the light to our feet and a, 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 a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. Thank you, God, for your word. Oh, forgive us for letting it get dusty on the shelf. Help us to wipe it away and get right back in the word and study it for all it's worth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.